Well, uh, today we're continuing in our series, What We Know About the Future, and I am going to be talking today on the topic of the return of Jesus. Uh, before we get started, I want to thank Stan for preaching last week. You can give him a hand now. <laughs> kind of like Jeb Bush in 2016. You can clap now. <laughs> Uh, I took my own advice that I give you guys uh, almost every week, and I did listen to Stan's message to make sure I stayed caught up, and um, I will say that I believe Stan preached an excellent message uh, last Sunday. And so, Stan, I appreciate you, appreciate your ministry, and uh, very thankful for that. Um, if I say anything wrong here today, resident scholar, <laughs> tell me afterwards. Don't embarrass me during the message. <laughs> I uh, cannot imagine that there has been anything that's been speculated about more than the return of Jesus. I grew up in a church tradition that placed a lot of emphasis on the return of Christ, and uh, we lived among Christians who lived with a very heightened expectation of uh, Christ's return. There is a lot that is very good about that. In fact, I think it's a better way to live than what I have noticed is sometimes the case as I grew up and left Pentecostalism, which is what I grew up in, and came into evangelicalism, which Pentecostals are evangelicals, but you know what I mean. And, uh, and, and what more often happens here among at least younger people is you talk about events about the return of Christ and things like the rapture or whatever, and, and where... In my church tradition, we lived with like, like we knew about the end times. We get things more now like, what's the rapture? Je Jesus is coming back? What? And, and so there was a lot that was really good about that, but there were some negatives about it. And my mom hates these stories, but so I apologize to her, but, but I... I'll share these stories anyway, and then I'll apologize again at lunch. But, uh, but the negatives of uh, growing up in that kind of environment were that every time I got lost in a store as a little elementary age kid, or my parents didn't get home at the exact time they had intended, my elementary age self became quite convinced that Jesus had returned, <laughs> and my sins were too great and I did not go. And because we firmly believed in a pre-tribulational rapture, I therefore knew that my seven-year-old self was now facing the tribulation <laughs> entirely alone. And while I wasn't entirely confident I knew how all this was going to play out, I thought that there was still a chance that I might be able to be saved in the end as long as I didn't go along with the plans of the Antichrist, refuse to worship him, and that would eventually result in my beheading, which might get me into heaven. I sense that some of you had a similar experience. You, 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 uh, 
you grew up with a real awareness of uh, the end times in your church experience as well. <laughs> it was common in the preaching of our denomination at that time for preachers, especially like at conferences and uh, camps and things like that, to suggest that the return of Christ was so imminent that it was likely that Jesus would return before fill in the blank. Next Christmas, next Easter, next summer, it's likely we'll never have a church camp again because Jesus is coming back. But most of that happened when I was in elementary school and middle school. I'm now 51 years old. And those yearly predictions have proven inaccurate. In 1988, Edgar Wisnett released a book called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Happen in 1988. He predicted Jesus would come in September of 1988. He identified the exact day, which I now forget, but I think he said September 22nd, 1988. And I remember many older adult Christians we were in fellowship with saying, I think it's way more likely that it happens than that it doesn't. Michelle and I were engaged at the time, and I kind of wanted it not to happen <laughs> so that we could get married. <laughs> and then I think, if I remember the story right, he adjusted it to say that it was going to happen in like December, and so we got married in November <laughs> to slip in under the wire. And now we realize we really wouldn't have had to rush. <laughs> of course, September came and went, and Christ didn't return. Quiznet, like everyone before him, and everyone since him, was wrong. Most recently, uh, I, I saw that uh, Pat Robertson came out with a prediction related to the return of Christ, saying it had first been revealed to him, no reactions either way on this next thing. It had first been revealed to him that Donald Trump would win re-election, no reactions either way. Thank you. <laughs> and then the next thing was, an asteroid's going to hit the earth within the next five years, and perhaps that's going to usher in the return of Jesus. The success rate for predicting the return of Christ stands today at 0.00%. Yet people keep trying, people remain undeterred, they keep making predictions, but the success rate is 0%, and here's the reason for that, there is a good deal that we simply don't know about the return of Christ that makes it impossible for us to know when Christ will return. Of all the things we don't know about the return of Christ, here's the main one, we don't know when he's going to return. I talked about this the first week of the series, Stan talked about it last week, and here we are again today. I promise the series will move to other topics. We simply don't know when Jesus is going to return. People who claim to know do not know. People who acknowledge they don't know the day or the hour, but believe they know the month or the year, or can know the month of the year uh, and year, they really can't. 
as has been proven over and over and over again, we simply do not know when Christ is going to return. In Matthew 24, 36, Jesus answered this question once and for all for us. He said, no one knows about that day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven. This next line is amazing. Not even the Son, but only the Father. Verse 44 of Matthew 24 says, The Son of Man will come at an hour that you do not expect him. Matthew 25, 13 says, Keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. In Mark 13, 32 through 33, it says the exact same thing. Maybe slightly different words. Exact same meaning. Theologian Wayne Grudem, who's one of my favorite theologians, writes, it is simply an evasion of the force of those passages to say that we can't know the day or the hour, but that we can't know the month or the year. The point of these passages is that Jesus is telling us that we cannot know when he's coming back. Since he is coming at an unexpected time, we should be ready at all times for his return. It is simply misguided speculation uh, when, when we uh, try to determine when Christ is going to return. It's just misguided to speculate with any type of specificity on when Christ might return. Now, I don't think this precludes us from feeling that the return of Christ may be near, from saying to one another that the return of Christ may be near. In fact, we'll talk about this some, but I think that we are meant to live. I think Jesus intended for us to live. The Bible intends for us to live with that anticipation that he could come back really soon. But it's misguided to try to narrow it down and make predictions or say it has to happen by this time or there's no question that it will happen by whatever date. We simply don't know and we can't know with certainty. And here's one of the reasons that we can't know with certainty. It's because we don't know with certainty what signs of the end that we read, read about in the Bible, we don't know entirely which ones have been fulfilled and which ones haven't. In the 24th chapter of Matthew, Jesus gives us some very clear and very specific signs of the end of the age and of the return of Christ. But in most cases, it's not entirely clear to us if those signs have already been fulfilled or if they are yet to be fulfilled or if in some cases maybe they were fulfilled in the past but they will be fulfilled again, perhaps even in a greater way before Christ returns. And Stan touched on some of this last week, but uh, I'd like to illustrate uh, this uh, by looking at a few specific signs of the end that Jesus shared in Matthew 24. And again, Stan touched on these. Some of this may be a little bit repetitive. But Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. As the gospel gets preached all over the world, then the end is going to come. So a sign of the end and the return of Christ is that the gospel message gets out to all the nations of the world. Has the gospel been preached to all nations? Stan addressed this last week, and the answer is probably not. 
the answer, I, maybe he said no. My answer is probably not. Probably not. I guess I didn't listen as close as I thought I did. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, but I would say the answer is probably not. Stan shared last week that there are many language groups and tribes around the world that have still never heard the gospel. In closed nations, it's possible that large percentages of the populations have never heard the gospel. So this sign of the end probably has not been fulfilled. Yet, Paul said in Colossians 1, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and growing. So in some sense, the Apostle Paul was under the impression that the gospel had made it to the entire world. And of course, we would qualify that by saying the entire known world. But, but Paul did say that. Paul in Colossians also wrote of the gospel which you have heard, which has been preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, I don't think he's being literal there, that every single person had heard the gospel. But he, he is definitely saying this gospel has has gone out. And so it's very unlikely that this sign of the end has been fulfilled. Again, because we know of so many unreached people groups in the world today. But Paul did say what he said. And even if he was speaking in a representative sense and not literally, we still can't say with absolute certainty that this sign hasn't been fulfilled, even though we think it probably hasn't. We don't know if it's literally every people group that needs to hear the gospel or if representatively, if every nation on the planet has heard. We're just not certain about some of these things. And we should also note, which I do believe I listened closely enough to, to know that Stan said this last week, that if we're right that it's yet to be fulfilled and has not yet been fulfilled, then the truth is it could be fulfilled rather quickly. I think Stan shared that, that there are mission groups that are actually charting this out and saying we want to help, uh, help to reach every people group. And I think you said in the next five years they think that they may be able to achieve that. One or five, one ten, okay. I, 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 I was listening to music at the same time, I admit now. <laughs> no, not, 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 not really. <laughs> it's joking. Let's look at the next example in verses 15 through 25 of Matthew 24. Jesus spoke of the abomination that causes desolation, what we often just refer to as the abomination of desolation, in a time of great tribulation. For much of the 20th and 21st centuries, a very common view among Christians is that this is a prophecy that, that points entirely to the future, to something that has not yet happened. And yet I think it's probably fair to say that, I think it's fair to say most theologians are agreed that what is referred to at least most specifically in these verses in Matthew 24, 15 through 25 is the Roman siege of Jerusalem from somewhere around AD 66 to 70, 71, somewhere in that range when the Roman army leveled the city of Jerusalem the idolatrous Romans entered the Holy of Holies, entered the holy place, and defiled it. The abomination that causes desolation, a time of incredible 
tribulation. This was a time of incredible hardship for the people of God. And the Holy of Holies was defiled. Again, that's what the abomination of desolation refers to. And yet, many theologians who believe Jesus' prophecy here most specifically refers to the Roman siege of Jerusalem also believe there is a period of suffering coming on the earth at some point in the future that will be even greater than anything that has been experienced to this time, even what was experienced by Israel during this period of A.D. 66 to 70, 71, somewhere in there. And so, on this sign of the end, we can say that it is possible that it's been fulfilled, but it's also possible it hasn't been fulfilled because even though the Roman siege fits the prophecy, there is something in the future, something worse that it may more specifically point to. We also have to acknowledge the prophecy could possibly have both short-term and long-term meanings and fulfillments. And so it might be true that this both has been fulfilled and the prophecy was about A.D. 66 to 71, but it is also yet to be fulfilled because the prophecy also was about what would happen when the end was truly upon us. And so we could go through this exercise with each of the signs of the end. And with, in almost every case, in, in fact, I think with every case, our firm conclusion would be, it is possible but unlikely that it's been fulfilled. Or it's likely that it has been fulfilled, but we're not sure. Or what I think is the best answer is, it may or may not have been fulfilled. And even if it has been fulfilled, it may be fulfilled in an even greater way in the future. And all this simply affirms that we just don't know when Christ returns. And I'm sorry to disappoint you. Because I know a lot of people feel, and, and, and I feel if I'm being honest, that, that we are probably living in the last of the last days. What does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> but, but I think we're close. Close can mean a lot of things. So, so I wish I could tell you more, but, but all of this simply affirms that we just don't know when Christ is going to return. Stan shared with you about these four different types of approaches to interpret, interpreting prophecy. Uh, preterist, futurist, and historicist are the three that I'm going to uh, reiterate today. Uh, the preterist interpretation says most prophecies have already happened. I think we can, you know, confidently say that we can't be confident of that at all. <laughs> the uh, futurist interpretation says all the prophecies are yet to be fulfilled. I think we can confidently say that we can't be confident of that at all. The historicist interpretation says that prophecies in the end have been fulfilled, are being fulfilled, and will be fulfilled. And within the historicist interpretation, the allowance for a prophecy to have both short-term and long-term application, uh, that, that's, that's part of the thinking there. And so the historicist view looks at events unfolding in our world, realizing similar events have happened in the past, and yet it wasn't the end. Looks at events happening in our world now and understand these events could unfold in a way that it would signal the end actually is upon us. 
but also realizes that even if things happen that appear to be the fulfillment uh, of a sign of the end, there may be yet a future and greater fulfillment of that very same thing at a later time. As you have probably ascertained, I am a fence-sitter on these matters for the most part. But I do find the historicist approach to interpreting prophecies about the end times seems to me to be the one that is the correct approach. And so I think the best we can say about the signs of the end, specifically what we see in Matthew 24, is this. That most have either not yet been fulfilled, or have been but will be fulfilled in a greater way in the future. I think we need to acknowledge that we simply don't know when Christ will return. And I think we need to acknowledge that even those things which are yet to be fulfilled could be fulfilled very quickly. And that's a key thing for us to keep in mind. You know, I, I have just had to honestly account to you that I believe there is more uncertainty than Christians always, often want there to be uh, about how the events of the future will unfold. But we have to keep in mind that these things could unfold, these things could be fulfilled extremely quickly. And so I think that even though we don't know for sure when Christ is going to return, we should and we are meant to live in anticipation of his return. And so all that we've covered up to this point is just a simple acknowledgement of what we don't know about Christ's return. But I am very happy to share with you today that there are some things that we know with absolute certainty about the return of Jesus. And here's the first one. It is, a, it is a great thing to be able to know with confidence, with certainty. We know that there will be a sudden, personal, visible, bodily return of Jesus Christ. We know this. We know it. Jesus Christ will come again. He will literally come again. Suddenly, visibly, bodily, we will see him. Jesus describes it this way in Matthew 24, 37 through 44. I think this will be on the screen behind me. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. Noah had been preaching about what was going to happen. And yet Jesus says they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. I think we're living in such a time. We're out here preaching. Who's hearing? Is the message getting through? That's a different message. I'll go, go on. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch. And he would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. 
this theme runs throughout the entirety of the New Testament. Now, once you consider, I'm going to read a lot more passages here quickly. All, all the rest of these aren't going to be on the screen, but they're on your outline if you want to check them out yourself. But I, I want to show how this theme runs throughout the New Testament. So consider these passages. John 14, 3. Jesus said, I will come back and take you to be with me. Acts 1.11, the angels said to the uh, disciples gathered around who had just watched Jesus ascend into heaven, the angel said, the same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in this same manner that you have seen him go into heaven. 1 Thessalonians 4.16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. I knew that verse as a little kid. Every time a train whistle would go off in the, in the background, I was looking east. Where's east? I was looking east. Yeah, it's there. I was looking east. My heart racing. I'm about to find out if I go. I knew that verse. It's a great verse. With the trumpet call of God. What a day that's going to be. What an amazing thing that's going to be. We know that. We know that's going to happen. It's as clear as clear can be in the Bible that that's going to happen. Hebrews 9.28. It's a great passage. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time. That time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. The fulfillment of all that we have hoped for, he's coming again to bring that. What an amazing thing. 2 Peter 3.10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed with fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. 1 John 3, 2, dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we'll be like him, for we will see him as he is. Don't you look forward to that day? See Jesus face to face? Revelation twenty two twenty. He who testifies to these things, everything in the book of Revelation that you're hoping to hear about and we haven't told you about yet, everything in the book of Revelation is what this refers to. He who testifies to all of this in the book of Revelation is Jesus. And here's what he says, yes, I am coming soon. What a wonderful thing. What a wonderful thing. There is no uncertainty about this. And this is just a sampling of verses. We could go on and on and on and on, listing out the passages that talk about the coming of Jesus. He will come again. His return will be sudden. It will be personal. It will be visible. It will be bodily. Jesus is coming again. We do not know with certainty when. But we know with absolute certainty that he is coming again. 
It is a frequent theme throughout the New Testament, and it is the dominant hope of the New Testament church, of which, let me remind us, we are still a part. We, we, we talk about the New Testament church like that was the church back then. No, there's just one church age since the church was launched. We are the New Testament church. This was the dominant hope of the New Testament church then, and it is to be the dominant hope of the New Testament church now. And this is why Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, one of the great passages about the return of Christ. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, Paul is saying we got this straight from Jesus. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. And then he wraps this up saying, therefore, encourage each other with these words. This is our hope encourage each other with the truth that this is going to happen. The return of Jesus has been the dominant hope of all believers for the past 2,000 years, and it is our hope today. That's why Paul says, encourage each other with these words. I know that life is hard, but Jesus is coming. I, I, I know that our country is a divided mess. And we don't know what the future holds, but Jesus is coming. Some of us might say, my finances are a mess. I'm not sure if I'm going to get them figured out before I leave this world. And I hope that's not true. And I know that's rough. But either way, Jesus is coming. Some of us might say, my health is bad. I'm in chronic pain. We are going to pray for you, and we're going to trust God to heal you, but be encouraged, Jesus is coming. It will not always be this way, because Jesus is coming. Some of us say, I'm getting old, and I'm not sure I'm still going to be among those alive when Christ returns. Be encouraged, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Jesus is coming. What if bad things happen to our country? What if someday, God forbid, we cease to exist as the country that we currently know and love? That'll be awful. But Jesus is coming. What if we have to live through the tribulation? That'll be bad. But Jesus is coming. What if I'm made fun of or even persecuted for my faith? Well, I'm sorry if that happens to us, but Jesus is coming. You say, Brian, life has always been difficult for me. I'm genuinely sorry it's been that way, but be encouraged, Jesus is 
coming. He, he's going to wipe every tear from your eye. He's going to defeat death. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain. He's going to right every wrong. And in what's become one of my favorite Bible verses, he is going to make all things new. So hold on. Endure. Persevere. Be faithful to the end because Jesus is coming and we know this with certainty. And here's more that we know with certainty. We know the final results of the return of Christ. The entire world will face final judgment. Believers will receive their reward. And those who belong to Jesus will receive eternal life in the new heaven and the new earth. These are things that we know about the future. It's a lot we don't know for certain. But these are the things that we do know. And these are the things that we'll be talking about throughout our series. So we've considered what we don't know about the return of Christ and we've considered what we do know about the return of Christ. So the last thing that I want to address for today is what should a Christian's attitude be toward the return of Christ? What should our posture be? What should our stance be toward the return of Jesus? Because we can't know everything about it, should our posture be one of disinterest and basically saying to ourselves, you know, we just really shouldn't waste any headspace on the return of Christ because we just can't know things for certain? No. That should not be our attitude. That should not be our posture toward the return of Christ. Should our posture be one where we become consumed with trying to interpret world events in a way that we figure out when Jesus is going to return? You know, do we do, we do things like say, okay, I have been listening to the messages, and I've been told that we cannot know the day or the hour, and, and I've been told that that also means can't know the month or the year, but maybe I can narrow it down to a two to three year period. <laughs> do, do we do that? No. No, that should not be our posture either. We shouldn't view the return of Christ as something to not waste any time thinking about, and we shouldn't obsess over the return of Christ. What we should do instead is embrace the return of Christ as our hope and receive this promise as a source of encouragement in our lives. And so briefly, I am wrapping up, but briefly here are three attitudes that I think we should have toward the return of Jesus. Number one, we should long for the return of Christ. We should desire the return of Jesus. It is a good desire for a Christian to have. You know, I hear Christians from time to time that sort of critique their fellow believers who, who focus on the return of Christ. And these Christians will often say things like, you know, just being too heavenly-minded, you're of no earthly good. We don't need to worry about heaven. We just need to get busy getting people to heaven. Well, it's the thinking about heaven that really motivates the caring about getting people to heaven. Like, these things are not mutually exclusive. These are not in conflict with each other. And so we absolutely should long for 
the return of Jesus. After John the Revelator records Jesus in Revelation 22:20, which we read just a minute ago, saying, yes, I am coming soon, John responds to that declaration this way, amen, come Lord Jesus. Well, what's he saying there? He's saying, so be it. I want that to happen. Come, Lord Jesus. I want it. I pray for that. Yes. Let's go. Let's do it. Come on. That's what he's saying. Paul wrote in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thinking about it. I'm focused on it. I'm eagerly awaiting our Savior. Christians are meant to be people who long for the return of Christ. Secondly, we should live in anticipation of the return of Christ. In giving an honest accounting of the things we can't know about the return of Jesus, none of that is meant to lessen our anticipation of his return. Even if the view that not all the signs of the end of the age have yet been fulfilled is correct, that doesn't mean that they can't be fulfilled really quickly. I believe that God has intended for Christians, for the 2,000 years plus of church history, he's intended for all believers in all times and in all places to live in anticipation of his return. We're to long for it, we're in, to anticipate it, which, which I think means we live as though it could happen soon. And, and it means that we live always understanding that we're living in the light of the reality that Jesus is coming again. Matthew 24, 42 through 44, Jesus said this, Therefore keep watch, and I read this earlier part of it, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch, and he would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. It definitely sounds like Jesus does not want our posture toward his return to be one of disinterest. He wants us to live in anticipation, to be ready, to be watching. And a big part of what it means to live in anticipation of Christ's return is what the next point on the outline is about, if you're following along there. We should live in obedience, in obedience, as we anticipate the return of Jesus. Matthew 25, 45 through 46, Jesus said, Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom the master has put in charge of the servants of his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant, whose master finds him doing so, when he returns. It's going to be good, Christian, to be found doing what Jesus told us to do when he comes back. What it means to live in anticipation of Christ's return is to be engaged in obedience to Jesus in every area of life up until the very moment that Jesus comes again. Yielded to his lordship in our personal lives, obeying his commands. 
doing what he says to do, not doing what he says not to do. And in addition to obeying his commands in our personal lives, it also includes engaging with his mission in the world. Accepting the responsibility to be his ambassadors. Bearing witness to the gospel, sharing the good news, encouraging one another. We do the work that God has called us to do in the name of Jesus until the moment that Christ comes again. We don't get lazy because we say, well, he hasn't returned yet. I thought he was going to return 35 years ago and he still hasn't returned. So I got all the time in the world to finally get around to living in obedience. No, no, we don't do that. We live in obedience right now. We live in obedience every day until he returns. We don't slack off in obedience to his commands, and we don't slack off in our work for his kingdom. We remain obedient and faithful. Jesus is coming again. This is our hope. And so what I hope this will work in us is that we'll allow it to encourage us, even when we're tempted toward discouragement. And let's face it, there's a lot of temptation toward discouragement in our world today. And let's allow this truth to motivate us to live in continual obedience to Jesus. Let's stand.